Podcast podcast brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. My name is Adam Jolly. Joining me as always is Brian Lamar. Brian, how are you? Great. How are you? 19? I don't know. That's crazy that we're nearly out of the team. We're almost there. Um, how many did you, seriously, how many did you expect us to record? I thought we if we did a dozen this year, it would yeah. be a good year. What about you? Um, I thought maybe four. <laughs> like we would start off hot. We would do like two or three in a row, and then about time would come, and then you'd be like, I mean, is there point? If we came back now, people would know that we've been gone. That's what I thought. It would come to that. Yeah. We just yeah. kept going, though. You know who I, you know I blame? I mean, credit for it? <laughs> who, who is that? Let me guess. Mr. Producer Brian? Producer Brian. Yeah. Granted, I, I don't know what podcast we're recording right now or when it's coming up, but that, like, he gives me the motivation. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as always, feel free to reach out to us. And telecast at emi-rs.com. You can also follow EMI on Twitter, EMI underscore research. My own personal Twitter, Adam Jolly. Um, there is an Intelecast Twitter, Intelecast One. Hey, did you know I reached out to them? You did? Breaking news. What did they say? They haven't responded, but it's a website owned by the Weather Channel. What? Oh, okay, I get it. That they, I think that they bought... Intellicast, the brand name maybe? Sure. A few years ago, and they haven't used that Twitter account in years, so I, I said we wanted to use it. They wouldn't ask for money. You wouldn't bank. Well, I told them to give them like 10 plus for the weather channel. Yeah, I'm sure they need it. They'll look at our numbers and be like, oh, it looks like you guys are averaging what? Three, four listeners per? We need that on our Doppler. <laughs> We're not even on their radar. Is that good? That's better. That's better. That's good. Um, so, yeah, stay track on those Twitter accounts because this week um, I'm going to the Northeast Regional Insights Association. Oh, my goodness. In Boston, and I will be tweeting out. Uh, it's probably going to be from my personal accounts. Here's what I would do. I would follow, first of all, follow both EMI and personal. Listen to the personal until I say something like, man, I can't believe they're having AJ Styles fight AJ fight Nakamura at this next pay-per-view. Who's going to win money in the bank? Or like, man, can you believe Brian Kelly is still the coach in Notre Dame after what he's done? It's just horrible. So, let me ask you a question. Yeah. What, at what point do you decide that this belongs on the EMI Twitter account versus your personal Twitter account? If it's funny, it's my personal. <laughs> if it's not funny, okay. EMI. We're not about humor or the EMI Twitter account. All business. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be all lollygagging and laughing around when I'm trusting my finances and my data services to somebody. Are you ever concerned that you accidentally tweet from the wrong account? Uh, I wrote a tweet out that I I actually deleted a tweet last week. And can I, should I even announce that? Can people go? I've deleted it since. Can people go back in time I think they can. and find a deleted tweet? Producer. Even if it's already deleted? I thought you had to do that real time. Nope. No? Okay, yeah. I didn't delete anything. I think back to Trump and Melanie. Oh. So I just thought, like, if I left it up for a few minutes, somebody <laughs> could screen it, yeah. screen capture it, and then, like, have it for there. But it was up for, like, four seconds. This is all, this is not real. This is all hypothetical, by the way. If you leave it, <laughs> I need to get compliance in. If I leave a tweet up for four seconds, could somebody, hypothetically, go back in time Find that tweet and use it against me. It wasn't a picture or anything. It was just I had I won in on we got really 
opinionated last week, and yeah. I put that on Twitter that I was opinionated about a certain topic. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna put this on Twitter because then they'll yeah. definitely listen and probably get angry. Yeah. And like talk to us about it. We're really like, if you listen to the whole thing in context, it's not that I'm angry. It's not that I yeah. think it's a bad. I think it's a great idea. I gave them tips on how to make it a better idea. Yeah. It's just that's why I deleted it because um, if I've learned anything from Real Housewives of New York, say it, forget it, write it, regret it. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brian. Yeah. We had a guest this week. Who did we talk to? Oh my gosh, Jerry Hazelmeyer. Jerry Hazelmeyer of the Living Room. Um, I loved it. Yeah. The- this was um, unexpected gold. It really was. And we were talking about it. This is, I mean, so we met Jerry and team at MRMW. They had an awesome booth set up. And because they were kind of outside of the group, like they were, it was just easier to talk to them. They're from Cincinnati, obviously, uh, and a part of town, Norwood, which is actually close to our old office. Yep. Um, I love Norwood. One of my favorite parts of the city. I don't know why, but I love Norwood. Um, and we were like, okay, so we talked to them, and we were quant, so does it make sense? And even right before we were leaving, we were like, what do we expect them to get from this? I'd never been to facilities before. How does this qual person, this qual shop, focus group type place mesh with what we talk about, with any kind of quant thing, and any kind of things we talk about market research? And it couldn't have been better. I was, like, so pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And, like, uh, I have a tendency. This is a shocker for a listening. <laughs> But I have a tendency to get really passionate about things. And either way, either some things make me really, really angry, yeah. some things make me really, really happy, some things make me really, really sad. I'm very polarizing. Yeah. And I was like emotionally shook at times when we were taking a tour of the facility. Like everything about it, and I encourage people go to thelivingroom.com, look at some of the pictures, reach out to Jerry and team. If you're in Cincinnati area, try to get a tour set up, use the facilities, whatever. I mean, you can take this as a plug. Um, this is just me honestly saying, as someone who has no buy-in to qualitative research or who you use, the the details that they go through to, from the setup of the rooms to the ease of use, it just like this, this feeling of warmth and comfort, and that there's like a vulnerability that comes in just being in this type of setting, is it, unbelievable. Like it, yeah. it really, I left there, I left there wanting to inspire, not feeling like yeah, feeling inspired, but wanting to inspire which i think is totally different yeah but i don't know it's very very weird to me and i loved every second of it yeah i think it's hello living room it's their website okay yeah uh, i agree with everything you just said um so they we thought of them as a more of a focus group facility that's how i think of them as market research but they do three things they do kind of corporate um debriefing yeah, and corporate strategy, strategy yeah. kind of stuff creative kind of stuff and they also have like a work share place. So if you're just a small company or a one or two person shop, you can go there and work from their office, which would be really cool because you can take a sliding board every day. Eat True. your snacks. There is a slide that goes from one floor to another. There's tons of snacks and drinks. That's great. You got to expect that for focus group places. Um, you know, one of the things I knew that it was going to be special. So beforehand, we send over just like, just if you aren't totally shocked, <laughs> we'll send them over what the four P's are. When he replied back with what he wanted his Mount Rushmore to be, I was like, okay, this guy, this is going to be a little different. This yeah. is going to be a little weird. I'll wear like some different colored socks today. Yeah. This is going to be a little different. And you'll, and you'll hear that part of the interview too. It's, uh, it's really great. I don't know. It's a lot different. Not that any guest has been better than another, but he was better than anyone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. 
Uh, what else is going on? Uh, anything we want to talk about sports? Um, I hit the exacto again on the, on the freaking Are you serious? You did it? Yeah. I bet I put three exactos. And this was the lowest amount of money I put on it. It was just a five it's called units. <laughs> again, damn, this game really is legal. This is horse racing. It's, it's I think it's legal. Yeah, it's very yeah, legal. totally legal. So I put uh, five units on uh, this exacta, and it only paid like it didn't pay a whole lot, but ten to one. So yeah. I didn't win anything, basically. I mean, I won, but like not what I should have won. Yeah. That was interesting to watch just because of the weather, poor weather again. Yeah. I, I can't. I don't know how the guy called the race. Um, oh, yeah, I watched it. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about NHL? Yeah. Golden Knights. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights. It is a madhouse there. I showed producer Brian their little intro. Have yeah. You seen the intro? Yeah, where he cuts the jet in half. It's, it's really crazy. crazy. Yeah. Like, who would have thought that Las Vegas would all of a sudden have one of the most rabid fan bases in the It was waiting sports. for it. And then you can and you can gamble. Can you gamble on the team when you're when they're playing at home? Probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel bad for Winnipeg because they're the last Canadian team standing. But... Uh, I don't. I mean, <laughs> we're beating them at their own sport. <laughs> it would be like if the Toronto Blue Jays went on a tear of winning the World Series. They won two in ninety two, ninety three. Yeah. But if they were to win like thirty in a row, yeah. Which I think is where we're at now. Thirty in a row, Canada's lost. What was the last Canadian team to win? The Canadians? Yep. 90s. In the 90s? And they've won more than anybody, right? Canadians? I mean, you invent the sport at half the time you're playing against YMCA teams. <laughs> and they, oh, here's a professional team. Ours. It's like the Globetrotters out there. Right. You hit the puck and turn into confetti. Yeah. They beat, I think they beat the Nova Scotia. Sure. <laughs> One year. Prince Edward's Island. Yeah. Oh. We'd beat a team of just fish. A team of giant muskies. Way to go, Rocket. Rocket Richard. Here's my hockey. Yeah, hockey talk. Puck talk. Uh, what else is sports-wise? NBA is heating up. NBA is good. I Every time I think about forgetting about the Cavs, they're done. And then LeBron. I mean, I don't know why you would ever doubt LeBron. I, I kind of still think they're in it. I'm hanging on. I don't know. Can Boston win a game seven? That's where, I think it's going to go to seven. At Boston Garden, and can those young kids win a game seven? That's, this is fascinating to me, right? I think they do. Uh, I think it's too much. Their defense is too good. And I think once the shots started not to go in in the first half, and some of the crazy shots were going in on Cleveland's side, yeah, you kind of like, okay, that's it for tonight. Let's go. Let's start thinking yeah. about Monday. But I feel like LeBron, the Cavs have two, here's their game plan. LeBron has to do well. And they have to hit a bunch of threes. That's pretty much it. That's their whole game plan. Yeah, it's true. That's kind of the game plan of the league right now. <laughs> right? Yeah, guess, you get one or two yeah. guys, play really well, and hope that they hit their threes. Unless those two guys are also three-point shooters, like with Golden State, and they beat a team like 40 last night. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. A good team. The best team in the NBA. Right this season. I agree. Um, all right. That's enough. Uh, what are you talking basketball? Talking balls. There we go. Talking pucks, talking balls, and now we move in on our review with Jerry Hazelmile, era of the living room. Uh, you can reach out to Jerry at Hello Living Room. Please go there um, as you listen to this podcast and you're thinking about it and, and look at some of the pictures. Dude, really kind of grasp what we're talking about. We recorded this in their office um, last week, and I think you're really going to be uh, pleasantly surprised at how this goes from talking about qualitative research to innovation and, and just all types of uh, kind of our goal in the research industry, you know, finding out what people are thinking so we can deliver better data and ultimately better prod- products. 
Um, so with that, we'll go into our interview with Jerry Hazelmeyer. Joining us now is Jerry Hazelmeyer of the Living Room. Jerry, thanks for coming in. Thank you. We're actually coming in. We're actually here with you now. We're here in Norwood at the Living Room. Um, give me some background on you first. So how did you get started? How did you get into research that time? Sure. So um, before I got involved with market research, I did business consulting. And I had a company called Leadership Pathways that I started and basically was working with um, CEOs and executives to help them grow their either departments or businesses. And then uh, it was one of my clients at the time that I, I met that owned a market research company, and I ended up buying half of it. And you might um, be familiar with the company with Seek. Yeah. And so recent, recently I was uh, I sold the company, sold my interest in the company, but I was CEO for probably around 13 years. Wow. And, uh, and so that was where I cut my teeth in sure. market research. So I came at, in, into the company more with a business background and then had to learn uh, market research. Right. And so, uh, so that's, uh, it's been probably around, I'd say around maybe 16 years I've been in the field. Wow. And have you been in Cincinnati the whole time? Yes. Yeah. Right. And it's Cincinnati the whole time. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell me, so you leave Seek and how does the living room start? Yeah. So, uh, we actually started the living room, um, uh, while Seek, while I was still CEO of Seek. And part of the, the rationale was we were growing and expanding and we needed a bigger office space for, for our staff. Yeah. And so what we decided to do is we said, well, all right, let's, uh, we have a lot of need for creative meeting space, uh, to bring our clients into. We would rent space either in Cincinnati and basically um, all over the world as we did research. And we said, you know what, let's create a space that we can do that in-house. And then, lo and behold, we launched another company called The Living Room. And so we had one of our staff run it, started and run it. And, uh, and then it started to gain more traction. Right. And so now The Living Room, we, we call it the three C's. We do consumer research, uh, qualitative research where we do the recruiting here. Right. And then we also do... Um, the creative meeting space where companies will have their strategy sessions in our space and then co-working. That's our latest. Okay. So where we uh, rent out monthly people who um, are independents right, and want to have a, a place to land. And so those are our three seats. That's great. So you talked a little bit about this space and it, it's weird that we're doing an audio podcast, but we're going to talk <laughs> about this space a lot, yeah. but it, it's, it's very inspiring. And, um, I guess my, my thought is, how did you come up with the idea of, of this space? Like, this unbelievable facility here, three floors across the street, even more space. Like, what was kind of your thought process when you first had this idea? I wanted to make a open wall type place where people can get their three seats. Yeah, so, um, you know, I just it just hit me just this moment, part of the influence of that. Um, so, um, there I was doing a lot of consulting work for um, nursing homes. When, before I even got into market research. And as you know, that there's been a shift from the nursing home, sterile field, even hospitals, right. to where they're going more of, aesthetically, they're really trying to make more of an appealing environment. Right. So back, you know, uh, 10 years ago, um, 12 years ago or so, I was influenced by that. And then um, as, we, as we thought about this building, we wanted to buy an old historic building that had character. Right. And then basically what we said is that, well, where do we like to hang out? Like, where do people 
generally spend time and they're not looking at the clock. Yeah. Well, uh, you go into you go to Europe and the pubs. You know, these old buildings, I mean, they're just amazing. Now we've got some cool ones here, but obviously not as old as where you'd find in Europe, right? And then there's the coffee shops to where people would, would like, you know, they hang out at coffee shops and they don't mind killing time. Right. You know, I think uh, um, Starbucks calls it what the third place yeah. space. Right. And and then um, outdoor settings, you know, nature, just being outdoors and and so as we were uh, putting together the design of this building, that was some of our influence. Sure. And so we just basically said, where, you know, where would we like our people to, where would they want to be and where would they want to hang out? Right. And that just transferred over to our clients as well. They, they enjoy being in our space. Oh, that's great. So along with the space, tell us, you mentioned the three C's. I want to go a little bit deeper into that. So what type of clients are usually coming here and what is kind of their objective uh, when they do come here? Yeah, good question. Um, so basically clients will come here when they want to do qualitative research. And so if they want to conduct a focus group, um, we have a unique setting for that. Um, you know, we've got a, instead of more of a sterile kind of environment, um, you know, we've got a room that has exposed brick, and we've got technology that actually the cameras that are controlled by an iPad um, that are computerized project on the second floor. And so the clients can actually be in a suite. They don't have to be in the dark. They've got all these um, large monitors. And it's just a better setting. It's just that uh, we want it to be so user-friendly. Sure. Um, that uh, So that would be one of our, you know, we do consumer research. Now, where things are shifting is sometimes they'll they'll choose to use our space or they'll ask us to do the recruit and they'll we'll have a large meeting room where they actually conduct the qualitative research in person. Right. They don't need to have that barrier. And then sometimes they will, you know, go to people's homes. But this whole idea to create an environment or a living room feel that people just uh, can relate naturally instead of being in an artificial environment. Right. Uh, okay, I talked earlier about like if you're, when you're selling the living room as a company, like for people doing qualitative research, a lot can be made just by bringing them into the space. So how does how does the space and the facilities kind of project into how you sell yourself, your company? Yeah, well, you you know you you're intuitive and you nailed it. I you know we believe that if we can get people to come to her, right, or you know just to you know to check this place out, um, wait. It, Probably it's like 85 or 90 percent that they will end up coming, and and so whether it's a, a time for um, just a strategy session or a team meeting, or we're conducting research, and uh, and so um, you know our whole idea is we want people if they're going to spend many hours of the day at work, let's make it enjoyable. Sure. Let's, right. let's have an inspiring space, and um, I really believe that that. Um, you know, if we think about, you know, whatever business that we're in, um, we, you know, our job is to make things better or to solve problems. And and I believe that having an inspiring space um, isn't the magic bullet, but it sure helps. Sure. Yeah. It sure helps. And so, uh, you know, we find that uh, that a lot of people not only come here once, but keep coming back. Right. How much, uh, 
shifting out of your employees. And, and I just think about, so if you have a space, and you kind of create this space so people don't mind being there, really, right? And they maybe, it's not asking them to work longer hours, but that when they're here, they give it, they're inspired to get more. Um, is that a, is that a big part of your culture? Is that what you kind of recruit for too? Uh, you know, are you like, not that you would ask it as an interview question, but yeah, are you inspired by this place? That type of thing? Yeah, good, uh, good question. I, you know, I believe that um, the people that we attract, you know, we're, we're really looking for people that really want to work hard and, and, you know, we're trying to create a culture, like a team culture that, hey, we're in this all together. And, um, you know, right now we have a smaller team. I think we have like five of us. So we call it the remnant. And, you know, don't underestimate what you can do with a small group. Sure. And I just know over the years that um, even in my former com company, you know, we started out um, when I bought the company, um, there was four of us. And then in our peak, there was about 70 on staff. And it's little, it's the little things that you do that accumulate that create growth and opportunity. Sure. And so, you know, I keep telling the staff that, you know, kind of culture that we're trying to create is um, we're not looking for the big splash things. Let's just keep incrementally making things better and better. And before you know it, you kind of go, wow, look at all that we've done. Okay. And, and you take these risks or these experiments, and it's exciting what can happen. Oh, that's great. Brian, any questions on your side? But I kind of have a question, but first a comment. Like it, we primarily do quantitative research at AMI, so this right. is kind of new for us, right? We, we focus on sampling and quantitative world, and our culture is very quantitative. Our office space is very quantitative. I used to do a lot of qualitative, and this is just it brings back so much more like creativity just flowing through my blood, just kind of walking through here. Because one thing I love about qualitative research is you get to actually talk to people and see them and get creative with them and look at them in the eyes. And we can't, we don't often get to do that in in most quantitative research. Um, my question is going to be. Um, we talk a lot on the on the podcast about innovation in, in our world, and so things are changing pretty rapidly in quantitative, right? We have online, and we have mobile, and we have all kinds of behavioral neuroscience going on. Um, you, you're, I think, you're innovating definitely with space. But what are other like innovative techniques that's going on in the qualitative world that maybe you can talk about? Wow, that's a that's quite a um, quite a loaded question, um, <laughs> and so. You know, um, here's here's my take on it. Is that obviously we see a lot of um, a lot that's happening with technology, right? You know, and I mean that's just you know it's endless. You know, um, AI mm -hmm. and all the different things that that are that are happening, and, and all the, the ways that we can track data, and all of a sudden you're looking online for a you know. Um, a canoe, and then all of a sudden something pops up—a tent too, or you know. Yeah. Um, so there's this whole there's this whole field of technology that I believe that is going to continue to blow our minds. I do believe, though, because we're human, it's going to um, also increase the thirst for human connectivity. Yeah. And and I mean, like we're sitting together here, and we see each other. Um, you know, we're um, we're seeing our body language, uh, our inflections, our voice, all this. And I, I think that um, it's the human touch, the human connectivity is never going to go away. And so I think that the more 
the more that we're traveling into technology, the more that um, there's going to be the other need. I mean, I'll give you an example in the not-for-profit world. Is that uh, you know there's a uh, a church in town that actually uh, one of the things that they've done recently is they bought um, a lot of property, I think 400 acres, and it is a craze now within this church that camping. Yeah. So you've got these couples camps, you've got you know kids, you've got man camp, you got women camp, and, and now camping has always been around. <laughs> But there is a reason why it's 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 a big hit, and I believe that a lot of it has to do with you know what we're looking at today, our phones and on our screens. Right. And so I think that there's still opportunity to um, to connect with people in person, along with the technology. Um, there's probably a lot more other people that can speak more eloquently than me on that. Oh, that's great. I see some parallels. So one of the first things I thought about here, I probably talked about the same church, but I think in, there are some parallels in religion and in qualitative research. Mm-hmm. And that you're hoping for some kind of inspiration. You've seen kind of, you know, the mega church it used to be, you know, 10,000 people come to a giant church, but it was all, you know, tote walls and everything, you know, maybe some frosted glass, things like that. And now if you were to go to like Crossroads here in town or other churches around it, it's more homey, right? And they're doing the camps and they're small rooms, small groups. Because you're really trying to probe more um, and find out more. Like, what are people's problems? What is, where can you have your gas filled? And a lot of that you can find in consumer research as well. Um, maybe that's the innovation. Like, I think we're always thinking about technology, but it's different ways to find out information from people, right? Because people are changing as well. Yeah. How much do you, how much, I guess, psychology are you, do you use? as far as I'm going to try to find out new ways to communicate your communication type things. Yeah, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, to me, you know, some of the um, the behavioral sciences, yeah, and just, you know, what makes us tick and why we do certain things that we do, I mean, it blows my mind, some of the some of the research that's, that's out there. Um, and, you know, part of it is, I think, different things that we've done um, in the past, um, you know, you kind of intuitively know how to connect with people and you create environments, whether whether it's how you speak to someone um, or it's playing a game that gets to a motivation that they, you know, they have no idea. Right. And so, you know, this whole idea of, you know, um, placing bets or auctioning off a concept and right. see how people respond. I mean, there's so many ways that you can do that that um, they get to the root of people. And, you know, to me, um, the better that we can understand um, what makes people um, tick and who they are, then I think our methods will will be able to speak into that. That's great. And, um, yes. Well, we're going to move now into the four piece part. This is a little bit more personal about you. Sure. Um, some fun topics. Um, we always change in the four P's. Uh, all of them start with the P words, have our, our take on the marketing mix. Um, so we'll start with playlist. So what are the last three songs or last three bands that you listen to? Yes. So uh, Zach Brown. Sure. Um, an old band called Nazareth. Okay. Have you ever even heard of them? Oh, yeah. Okay. 
and uh, you too. You too. Yeah. All right. It's yeah. Good. And so those are the uh, three kind of all over the place there. But no, uh, yeah, so we're always yeah. all over the place with this question. But like, Brian, do you have any, anything popping up new you're listening to on your playlist? Because um, I've got one that makes me think about you. I've been oh, listening sorry. to Casey Musgraves. Oh my gosh. A ton. Don't get She's like this, it's new country that is old country, and uh, I just, I love it. Uh, next P is pride. Uh, so Jerry, what is, what is your biggest source of pride that you get? I guess like what inspires you. Yeah, my biggest sor- uh, source of pride um, was my dad. Yeah. My, um, my father, um, when I was six years old, he um, had an accident, a swimming pool accident, and he broke his neck. And he was a quadriplegic for 48 years. Wow. And he just died uh, not quite two years ago. But um, the doctors told him that he was only going to live uh, about eight years because back then um, they didn't have a way to help them with bed sores. And because they would sit so much that they would develop these bed sores that would go septic and that would kill them. And uh, my dad invented a mattress. And um, out of the 48 years that he was that he was alive, he lived to be 75. But he um, never once had a bed sore. And the last 20 years of his life, he lived by himself. So he had Carolyn, his uh, his aide, um, who was a wonderful friend to this day of the family, get him up out of bed. And then at night, she would put him to bed with this water bottle and phone by his side. Right? And um, he is a remarkable man. He, he's what I call the one percenters. There's some people that you look at and you kind of go, um, there's value in every life, but there's, a, there's something that they have a unique gift that not many people have. And I call them the one percenters. And he definitely um, was a one percenter. But, you know, he would create these things just around the house. Um, and we didn't call it innovation. It was just Dad coming up with his ideas, and I helped him build them. And um, you know, that's probably why um, every you know kind of company or thing that I'm involved in, I like to do things better and differently. And I think I'm sure my dad. Yeah, that's great. Well, like is that is that story? Like 48 years. That's amazing. Is that a story out there? Have you thought about writing a book or telling that? Because that's that's impressive. You know. Um, I've had opportunities to speak um, on innovation over the years. I, I share that story. One of my one of my former staff, he said, Jared, we gotta we gotta do that. I'm not a writer, sure. but uh, he told me that you know he probably should do that because uh, uh, remarkable. It, it truly is remarkable what um, what my father has done over these years. But uh, and you know, I, even in my life, I feel like that you know I grew up a little bit quicker, a little bit faster because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, just kind of my situation that I was kind of born in, so to speak. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, next P is perform. So this is, we usually do this like a hidden talent. It doesn't have to be, but what is something that people don't know about you? Yeah, so this is crazy. Um, so most people, you know, don't know, but uh, just recently um, my wrestling team was inducted in the, into the Hall of Fame. Oh, Boy, and Syracuse. Okay. Yeah. And so we were um, state champions for over four consecutive years. Really? And uh, had like 130 some consecutive wins. 
something is, is outrageous. But um, you know, here I'm, you know, a little guy now, I guess, but compared to my staff here anyway. And uh, so one of my buddies called me up and said, "Hey, um, they're having this thing, you know, this get together." And well, it was like it was in downtown Syracuse. They made a big deal out of that. So uh, anyway, yeah, that was that was something that most people don't know. I would have never expected that. No, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> when you talk to like people that are growing up in wrestling, you can see all their ears. Yeah. And there's something about it. Right. But you don't have to grow up. I got to tell you. Yes. I was, I was fortunate. <laughs> um, now, I have to say, I'm glad I did wrestling in college just because um, it's grueling if you've you sure. done it, you know, uh, from the losing the weight to the. Uh, I have to say, the discipline of probably any sport, but uh, wrestling, there was a lot of discipline. Which, uh, side note, my uh, my wrestling coach is a National Hall of Fame wrestling coach. Really? Uh, yeah, Leo Johnson's his name. He's quite amazing. Wow. Yeah. So if you're whether you're a parent or you're a coach, the imprint and impact that you can have is unbelievable. Right. Um, I, you know, I mean, I think about that even even to this day about different people that have spoken into my life. Yeah. And uh, shaped me. Um, my dad and Leo Johnson are uh, definitely two of those. Well, Adam's a big wrestling fan. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we can go with, with the coaching part. Um, <laughs> I am a big wrestling fan. We talk about it all the time. But uh, I had no idea. Where. No, no, no. I thought you. I didn't think you were pandering. Oh, that's great. Um, it's mentioned the coaching part, and I think so many times. This didn't hit me. So last year I went back to my old high school and my old baseball coach asked me to speak to like his business class. And he was like, well, where did, one of the questions he was interviewing me, but where did you see yourself when you graduated high school? And I was like, my whole plan was to go and be a coach. So I was an athlete. I was going to go to school, be a, get a teaching degree, and then go back and coach at my high school. And I was like, I just always thought I'd be a coach. And then I thought that, not that that, that dream, but that path that died. You know, and, and he said to me that in front of everybody, like I was floored by it. He was like, "Well, you have a team of people now. Like, yeah, I have a team of people, like, and do you help them get better every day? And you look at where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and you have a SWOT analysis of people type of thing, and, and you help to to coach them up to get where they want to be." I said, "Yeah, I did. so you you did it. You didn't go teacher. You're not teaching social studies, but you're still coaching every day. And the impact you have, young people or people now, even at the same age." And I, I think we lose track of that sometimes, right? Just the yeah. impact you have people on the coaching part that you do throughout your entire life. Well, yeah, your colleagues are now your team. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's good. That's great. Uh, last P is person. This is usually where we do our, we do a Mount Rushmore. So we have the top four of everything. And you actually submitted this, which is great. Um, so it is the top four out of the box things you do with your kids that they will never forget. Yes. So, um, one is um, take them out of school to go to a leadership conference oh, in wow. town. Skip school and, <laughs> and take them to uh, a leadership conference. And um, I started, I have three boys, and I started when they were uh, 10. And every year I took them out. And uh, there was a particular conference called the Leadership Summit. And uh, I mean, there were speakers from presidents to um, CEOs of companies to um, 
worldwide, you know, pastors, the whole day. Right. And it was uh, every year I would do that with them, take them out of school. And uh, the other thing that I do too is when they got to be around 12, 11 or 12, um, I paid them to read books that I wanted them to read. <laughs> and so I didn't pay them for their, their goals. They a lot of them played soccer, they wrestled uh, because of me, but um, they, uh, I would find a, I'd find the smallest book that I could possibly find that might keep their interest first. Sure. So the one that came, that came to my mind back, you know, a number of years ago was Who Moved My Cheese? Okay. And so it was, it's this book, you know, talking about change and all that. You probably read right. it. So uh, I think it was Ken Blanchard's book. But anyway, I had him read that. And I said, I'll give you $20 if you read this book. And we just discuss it. And so then, um, and then it kind of ramped up after that to where some of the, you know, when they got to be 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, it went up a little bit, like 50 bucks. Um, and so it was something that a lot of my kids actually read more leadership business books than some of my staff that were with me at the, at the time. And um, they did it for the money at first. Sure. Right. But then they didn't realize how they learned some things. Mm -hmm. And then uh, probably the, the uh, it was good to great, and then they read uh, – the, the, the King book, the, the, the thickest book, was uh, The Leadership Challenge, okay. uh, one of my favorites. And uh, so that's something that I think that you can do with, with your kids. Probably the craziest thing I did was uh, um, when they were little, um, I went ahead and, and asked, uh, I talked to this guy, and uh, I had him bring a dump truck full of topsoil. And so I had him dump it in, in our driveway. My wife was going, what the heck are you doing with all this topsoil? Sure. And so I got the boys together and they were probably, they were, you know, probably 16, uh, 14, and 13. I said, boys, I said, uh, you see all this dirt? Guess what we're going to do? Invite all your friends in the neighborhood. <laughs> we're going to build a BMX track in our backyard. And so we got wheelbarrows. Sure. And we built this BMX track. You know, my wife was freaking out a little like, what are you going to do with all this dirt road the neighbors? And I said, don't worry about it. And we're through, we'll kind of level it off. And the adventure that they had right. of just doing something like that was, you know, was, was fun for them. So they, they, they talk about that today. Um, another one that's probably just a, something that I think is meaningful that if you schedule it um, is that before my kids reached 13 years old, I would take them on any take them any place in the continental United States for a father um, son trip. And uh, obviously, I didn't have any daughters, it would be a father daughter trip. But, and uh, and so that one on one time to do something that they wanted to do. So uh, one of my sons wanted to go to San Francisco, and so I took him to to Mere Woods, uh, and we saw the huge redwoods. And um, and then my other two boys, they wanted to go to Canada. We wanted to go fishing. And so we went um, went fishing and caught walleye and had our our uh, shore lunches on an island. It was pretty amazing. But that, um, I think scheduling those trips, um, that was something. Right. And uh, I don't have this methodical way of raising kids. I just kind of do something at the time that I think will have impact. And uh, I'm not the greatest like teacher. Uh, I can just kind of come to those moments to kind of maybe coach them a little bit.
So uh, I have a few things like that. I can kind of keep things uh, keep things going. Then the other thing that I did is that um, when I went to conferences, I paid them to get other adults' business cards so that they would interact with adults. Because I felt like they needed to interact with adults and feel comfortable so that when it came time for them to go into the marketplace, they were able to communicate and not be so nervous. So those are a few things that I came up with. Wow, that's great. I'm writing them all down. Oh, I'm trying to think what kind of wind can I start implementing uh, my six-year-old. They're working in dirt. I'll never forget it. Uh, well, that does it for the interview. Cheers, was great. I'm telling you, it was uh, the biggest part for me. I kind of said it when we went in there. We went up to the top floor, and I think there's aspects of this place, just the feeling when you get here, that speaks to like a certain part of nostalgia, but then also like, like I don't know, just opens you up. So when we go up to the upstairs, I said, "Oh my gosh, this is my first apartment," and all of a sudden I'm I'm in East Walnut Hills, and I'm 24. And right out of college, and I'm, I'm hearing Dave Matthews band in the back of my head, and I'm, I'm just thinking about all the things I was going through at that time, and it's like a vulnerability came over when I was up there, and I think that's a lot of times what that comfortableness can get you get a vulnerability from, it. and I, this place just speaks so much to that. I really appreciate you letting us come take a tour of it and being with us today. It was great. Well, thank you. No, it's my pleasure. It's great to be with you guys. Thank you for coming. How can we contact you? How can we talk to learn more about the living room? You know, basically, you just go online to hellolivingroom.com, and then you can see our space, our digs here. And, um, yeah, if anyone is interested in research or a place to meet, we hope that you come to our place. That's great. Thanks so much, Jerry. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you again, Jerry, for that great interview. Um, I loved it. I talked at the beginning how I loved it. I was gushing throughout. I think I turned on my, uh, if you'll notice in the interview, I get, like, my soft voice. Yeah, yeah. I'm really into it. I'm like, oh man, that's great. You listen to, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's when you know it's a good one for me. Um, That being said, this week you can catch EMI at the New England Insights Association. It'll be myself and Adam Dietrich hanging out. I think there's like 150 people at this regional MRA event. I'm excited. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty nice. Um, after that, you can catch us at IIEX in June, June 11th through 13th. It'll be myself, Brian Lamar, Jason Enderhees, Andrew DeSillis, Tony Brown, um, and also on June 12th, which is a Tuesday night after the conference. Um, if you have nothing else to do, please come down to the Barrel House. We will be recording live in a telecast. Uh, we'll buy some drinks. You can do some Mount Rushmore. We can do some rants. Uh, if you listen to our After the MRMW talk, it was a lot of Bringing people up, having them give a quick rant, having them get a quick, you know, five, ten minutes. It's going to be a lot of that. And then we have five guests lined up as well. It should be a little bit more in-depth type interviews. Um, you think we can go two hours? Easy. Let's make it six. <laughs> like every day of the week, we'll release an hour. You get five hours worth of it. I don't think anyone's ever done that before in podcast history. Let's do it. That being said, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 19 of Intelcast. You can reach us at Intellicast at emi-rs.com, Intellicast1 on Twitter, and we look forward to seeing you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.